Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everyone. And welcome to the February 13th, 2016 edition of Research 135's Community Call Daily Talk with your host, Rich Bernardo. Tonight, we are welcoming back a wonderful young lady, Courtney Starkey, who was on my show several months back. She was on in October. She is a past life regressionist, um, past life hypnotherapist. She uh, has her own... uh, Website, www.payitforwardhypnosis.com. That is also the name of her operation, Pay It Forward. She also has a Facebook group, uh, Pay It Forward Hypnosis, and she operates in both Herndon, Virginia, and Kailua, Hawaii. And I would like to welcome Courtney to the show. Good evening, Courtney. Hi, how are you? Fantastic. How are you doing this evening? I'm wonderful. I actually just got off a plane two days ago. I was in Kailua for a few weeks, and now I'm back in D.C., and I miss the blizzard entirely. There's no snow here right now. <laughs> well, I would say you timed your trip out perfectly, didn't you? Yeah, I was very, very lucky. I managed to get on a flight the day before everything shut down, so I feel very, very lucky. Courtney, I think the uh, topic of our program tonight is very appropriate with tomorrow being Valentine's Day. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Courtney is going to be talking to us about relationships. Courtney, what types of uh, soul relationships might there be? Well, I know that a lot of people, especially around Valentine's Day, they're thinking about what they refer to as soulmates, and nine times out of ten when people say soulmates, they think of romantic relationships. And romantic relationships are wonderful, but I do sometimes wonder if they are, and I say this with respect, but I wonder if sometimes romantic relationships are a bit of a distraction from other types of relationships or learning that can be out there. And I know that we are in soul groups, so we might have a soulmate that is a parent or a child or a best friend or a coworker that we really trust and learn a lot from. And me having just come back from Hawaii, that town in particular that I keep going back to over and over again, I feel like I have a soul relationship with that town. And I know it might sound crazy, but whenever a person finds that place that is home, even if it's the first time they've ever been there, but it's home, Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that they get it. There's that soul connection with that place. So, yep, it's about relationships, but it doesn't just mean the kind with hearts and roses and candy. And <laughs> but that that's important too. That really is very important. But that's not the only game in town. Do you think that maybe our culture 
places too much emphasis on uh, romantic relationships. You know, that is something that's very big in books and movies, and it's just something that from childhood on we, we embrace. I, yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think that there is too much emphasis on it, and it makes us feel really, really good. So there's a little bit of a um, a high or a, a drug component to it where it feels really good to watch those movies or to read those books or to be in that relationship. And I remember when um, I was reading, I think the book is called Committed, and it's by Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of Eat, Pray, Love. And she mentions a study in there where they found that in the first six months of a romantic relationship that the chemicals that are firing in your brain are actually very addictive. Hormones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. The hormones. and hormones. Exactly. So, so genuinely, especially in that first six months of a romantic relationship, what's happening to you is very much like a drug state. And if you pay attention to what I mean, some of us are currently in the first six months of relationship. Some of us, like me, it's been many, many moons <laughs> since that first six months. But it is. It's like a drug-like state in that you don't pay attention to – keep in mind, I'm going back to the days of being in high school or college, but you don't pay attention to your homework. You don't pay attention to the task at hand. You don't, you're just in this state of being totally immersed in that relationship and everything. A lot of people even lose weight in the first uh, few months of a relationship because who needs food? You know, I mean, like, you're just totally immersed in this relationship. And, yeah, and so I think that movies, books, society, our culture, everything pushes us in that direction saying, hey, this is the most important thing. This will make you feel good. And it does, but there's so many other things out there that are worthwhile, that are fulfilling, that can also make us feel purposeful. And sometimes we get distracted and we don't pay attention to the I've got a things. funny joke for that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've got a funny joke for that. It's an old joke, but it's a uh, man meets a woman, and, oh, man, he's just crazy about her, and he marries her just the prettiest little thing, and, boy, he could just eat her up. Six months later, he wished the hell he had. <laughs> <laughs> like a grizzly bear, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, there's something, I don't know what happens at that six-month mark, <laughs> but suddenly things start to wear off. That's an old joke, real yeah. old joke. <laughs> but it's about right. It's about right. On a very, very similar note, I saw a meme uh, somewhere on Facebook a few months back, and I think I might have shared it with a, a few people, maybe both of you, and it's uh, these people who've gotten back together, and she thought he was his soulmate or something, and she says, now I remember why I waited 6,000 years to get back to you or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, tell me, tell me, tell me, Courtney, uh, are soul relationships just with people? I think that, going back to what I was saying earlier, I think that we have many soul relationships. And I remember, and this is before I got into past life regression, before I had read Dr. Weiss's book, um, 
that I had this little ferret. And a lot of times people think I'm saying parrot with wings. I'm saying ferret as in the weasel family. I had this little ferret, and his name was Pandy, and I loved him. I mean, really, really loved him. And I would say to people, and they would think, oh, what a nut. And I would say, I had a soul connection with him. Like when he looks at me, or looks at anyone really, but when he looks at me, you can tell he's really thinking and seeing. And I learned so much from him. And now that I've gone into past life regression, and I was a client for a long time before I became a practitioner, and Pandy, my little ferret, he came up a lot in my past life memories from other lifetimes. And the one that's most prominent, he was a horse. And so he took all of these different forms. But, yeah, there was this immediate connection with him. And I've noticed that with a lot of my clients, the same thing will happen, in particular with dogs. It's not always dogs, but a lot of times it's dogs where people will go back into a past life memory and they'll see an animal. It could be a cow. It could be anything. And I'll say, go ahead, because a lot of times we give, we, um, we pay attention to the humans that show up in the past life memories, but I'll say, you know, if there are any humans or animals, go ahead and look at each one, particularly in the face and in the eyes especially, and see if you recognize them from your current life. And a lot of times you'll have an animal that will come up, especially a pet. And so I think that we have those soul connections with other animals. And like I was saying earlier about different places, that there are just certain places on this planet that we go to and you instantly love it. And as soon as you leave it, even if you were there for a few days, as soon as you leave it, you feel really, really homesick, which wouldn't make sense in the context of the current lifetime. But if you delve a little bit further, it probably makes a lot of sense. I was going to say, I feel just like that about my cat. It sounds Mm -hmm. ridiculous, but... It's just like whenever we look at each other, it's like we're just looking into each other's souls. We're just yeah. We're it just does not like, sound ridiculous to me at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just I don't know, just the things that he does and the way that you know he'll put his paw on my face or uh, you know just basically he just hugs you and it's just you look in their eyes and you can just see the intelligence in their yeah. eyes and it's just I don't know. It just makes you feel one with nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's no other way to explain it. going on there. Right, yeah. They're definitely, they're thinking, they are teaching us things. They just don't have the same style of communication that we do. And <laughs> props to your cat and to my ferret. I'm imagining the same thing with your cat. That So Pandy, my ferret, he was patient with me, and he taught me a lot of things. And usually as humans, we're like, oh, opposable thumbs, big brains, so smart. But if we pay attention, the animals can really teach us a lot of things if we're open-minded to what they have to offer. Yeah, I think that's going to be the the next great unknown that we mm-hmm. maybe will conquer will be, uh, you know, the understanding of animals of us and us of them. I think it's going to be the next, I guess, what you would call exploration for us. <laughs> right, right. There's outer space, and then there's also... Yeah. Really understanding these, uh, you know, deep sea, outer space, the communication that we don't quite understand. I mean, we get closer and closer. Ants are brilliant. Bees are brilliant. But we don't even really understand the full depths of 
all of the animals and what they have to offer. Oh, and then another thing, and I wanted to make sure I mentioned this tonight as well, plants. So they're starting to study plants and realizing that if they monitor them and they put them in a situation that they can start to, to actually measure if they are feeling stressed. And so we're at the beginning stages of that, even with plants. And I had this client a few months ago, and this, this tickled me to no end because the animals, that's been coming up for a while, but for a plant lifetime to come up in her past life memories, that was new for me and really, really special. And I had suspected as much, but I hadn't had someone actually go into it, so I was really, really delighted. And she was a tree, and she had a human that would come and visit with her and really enjoy the and, you know, same thing with the animals. We had certain plants that were drawn to, whether it's a really large oak tree or a beautiful rose bush, but there's something about it that really yeah. makes it feel serene. Yeah. And well, I live. I live in the middle. Yeah. I live in the middle of the woods by myself, and mm-hmm. I have always, in the thirty years I've lived here, I've always felt a connection with, with the land and the trees. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not religious, but if I them. if I was religious, I would probably worship trees, and I think that yeah. was a druid, or pagan. Yeah. And Celts, and the Celtic people, of the oak tree yeah. is very, very important to them. And yeah. many, many people today feel feel a real energy uh, with trees. You know, leaning up against mm-hmm. a tree, resting against a tree. And a lot of people can can feel uh, energy uh, when they're with trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I know. I had uh, so much. I had mm-hmm. loggers. I had loggers approach me about ten years ago, wanting to come in and and log the property. And I wouldn't have allowed it, and I could have made a lot of money, and I wouldn't allow it at all. Because thank you for doing I lo- that. I love you're my really trees. Protecting them. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's what we already understand, which is just the the oxygen, CO2, and the way that they're taking in the CO2 and providing the oxygen. I mean, there's that really surface level stuff that we already understand. But when I asked that client about her lifetime. And was it the same thing as a baby being born and that's the soul that's within that human? And she said, yeah, it's the same thing. You come in as the seed. You're in there with the tree the whole time. When the tree is cut down, it's the same thing as a death. And I asked her those questions because I had had a friend who is a really, really talented energy healer. And I was asking him the same sorts of questions before I met this client, and he said that he can put his arms around a tree, a literal tree hugger. (laughs) He can put his arms around a tree or a shrub or whatever else, and he can really feel the energy of that plant. And I asked him, you know, still learning, still a little bit ignorant about the subject, I asked him, is that tree or plant, is it absorbing the energy that humans have been putting off around it, or is it the actual energy of that living being itself? And he said, no, 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 it's the actual energy of that living being. So it's no different than a human. But, yeah, we absorb some of the energy around us, but we primarily have our own energy that we're creating. And so he independently was supporting the same thing that my client had mentioned. And so when those loggers came in and they wanted to cut down the trees, and I understand that we need wood, we, we need shelter, we need paper, et cetera, et cetera. I understand all of that. But you really were protecting a lot of living beings that I guarantee were aware of that and are very grateful. 
that yes. you provided that you were saving them. And I can't well, imagine it being also, any other way than too, they're grateful to you. Yeah, also, too, the power company came in once, and you know when your branches touch power lines, they're allowed to cut them down. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, I live in the middle of the woods, so, you know, they had to come into the middle of the woods where I'm at and said so a, a couple of branches were touching the power lines and they needed to cut them. And I said, well, you can cut those two branches right there, which they weren't very big, you know, just mm-hmm. just a little bit touching. And uh, he said, well, he goes, that's, that's an old locust. I think he called it a black locust or something like that. And he goes... Uh, he goes, those are just trash trees. He said, we might as well uh, just cut it down. And I said, no, you won't. And he said, well, he said, we can if we want. And I said, no. I said, you can cut down the branches that are touching the power line, but you can't cut down a tree on my property. And right. I basically had to run him off, and they never came back. So, Good job. <laughs> but to me, that's just, that's just, you know, that, that's just sheer stupidity to cut down a whole tree because yeah. two little tiny branches are t- touching the power lines. Yeah, and they refer to them as trash trees. And if you think about the feral animals that are out there, or if you think about even animal shelters where they're kill shelters, and if they're not claimed or adopted within a certain number of days, and then they're killed and yeah, I mean, it just, it, it keeps Yeah, it, you know, it was just, a, it's a beautiful tree. I didn't find that it was a trash tree at all. Yeah. It's a gorgeous yeah. tree. Right. Courtney, is, that. Is, yeah. Courtney, is there any indication that, that plants have some type of consciousness? Well, like I said, and I'm I'm no expert, and I definitely will learn more and more about this over time, but the indication... Um, I mean, of course, every hypnosis session, some people are going to go, it was discovered through hypnosis, it's absolutely 100% real, and other people will go, ah, it was discovered through hypnosis, that's 100% false. So so you've got that piece of it. I I prefer to believe it, just having had my own experiences. But then you also have the science piece of it, which I think definitely carries more weight. And... um, yeah, so they're definitely they're doing tests. They're I I have no idea exactly how they're measuring it, but I trust that they are measuring it accurately. And so they'll do things like they'll cut off a bit of the the branch or the twig or whatever it is, and they'll measure if there's a reaction. And there definitely seems to be a stress a stress reaction. I'm assuming that they could do that also with underwatering or overwatering or there's so many variables if there was not enough light or if there's too much light. And so I'm sure yeah, they, they used to tell all us, that. They used to tell us back in the 70s to talk to your plants that they would grow better. Right, yeah. And I'm sure that some of that is just that we're providing the CO2 as we're speaking. I think that that's a component. But I really do also wonder about just the, the relationship, that they're there, they're being acknowledged, and how often are plants actually acknowledged by something other than other plants or maybe animals as well. But, I mean, if we were walking around all the time and nobody acknowledged us, I think it would be sad. <laughs> Absolutely. So, that's good, yeah. Courtney, are soul connections just with living beings? Oh, well, so we've got, we've covered the, the plants and the animals. And as I mentioned before, the different parts of the world that, we're really drawn to and I'm sure that as 
more research is done. So I imagine a century from now that knowing about animals and plants having consciousness, emotions, feelings, thoughts, et cetera, that will probably be old hats. Nobody will be <laughs> surprised by that at all. And who knows, they might have gone into studying rocks and different things like that. Um, I, I feel like what we believe in, things like past lives, reincarnation, the ability to access those memories, I feel like that's all so outside of the box that for me to draw a line and say, okay, I believe that a dog has a personality and a soul, but then to say, oh, but I don't believe that a plant does, but then I go, okay, all right, I believe that a plant does, then to draw the line and say, but I don't believe that that rock does or that. So I, I just try to open myself up to all of it because I think that there are so many possibilities that we're not aware of. So I would not be surprised that we eventually figure out that things like rocks and other inanimate objects, they have consciousness. And we just aren't yet, aware of how to discover that and test that. That is a fascinating thought. Mm-hmm. Courtney, here is a question uh, from Facebook. People many times feel that uh, the purpose of their life is to be happy and, of course, to spread happiness. And sometimes someone can be saddened uh, if they have unhappily, unhappy family members. Uh, mm-hmm. Does a person have a duty to take care of them, even if they can't make them happy? And, and if that person abandons them, is there bad karma? I wonder about this a lot as far as I know that we're all put on this earth to learn lessons and to love. And so I wonder about this very question with the people who, so let's say that you have um, – I'm just going to go with a generic example, but let's say that you have a wife and she's being beaten by her husband. So I'm going with something extreme. So you have to wonder, well, yes, there could be an argument for saying, well, if you really want to show him an example of love, then you would forgive him. And and so it's like, what does forgiveness look like? Does that mean that you stay? And what if the abuse continues? And so I think that taking an extreme example like that, you have to go, I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe that staying in the same physical location is what you have to do in order to love someone or in order to forgive someone. So I think that whenever you're with somebody who is, and of course I went with an extreme example because that's an easier one to go with, but if you're with someone who is perpetually negative, at some point you have to draw a line. And be careful with that line that you've drawn, but you do need to draw a line and say, maybe I just need to love them from afar, which I, I very strongly believe you can do. I don't think you have to be a physical presence in order to be with them and to love them and to forgive them. Um, when I, so that question came in from Facebook And so I saw that earlier, and, of course, that person just put family members. So I don't – I read it assuming that it was something like a parent or a sibling that we're talking about an adult. But then Mm -hmm. I started to think about what if it's a child? That really changes the game for me, Um, especially to be younger. 
So let's say that it's a, a really cranky, annoying 13-year-old, which we know, speaking of hormones that we were talking about earlier, we know that it really changes the game, and they can be pretty unpleasant, uh, even though they don't mean to be. And so, or let's say it's even a one-year-old that just cries, that's colicky and just cries a lot. Um, I do feel like that changes the game a little bit, that even though that person is, pretty irritating and bringing uh, plenty of negativity and sleepless nights to the situation, that I do not feel like you walk away from. I think that that's really different. You've made a commitment to be there for them until they're an adult. But if we're talking about adults, I think that you can forgive them and love them from afar. And I've actually had some really interesting situations with multiple clients where they'll have a relationship. It might be with a sibling. It might be with a grown child. That's happened before, too. And the person, the client, has an issue, an unresolved issue that's been going on for a long time with that other person. And they really want to resolve it, but dealing with it on a human communication level has not been working up until that point. And so one thing that we do, and it's so easy and it's so quick. I mean, we're just talking about it a handful of minutes. And we just, part of the session is that we take a few moments and we really work with the energy and the love of the universe and the energy and the love of the client and put that together and then send it out toward that person that they need to heal that relationship with them. Now, they're never, probably, never going to tell that other person what they've been doing as far as having a hypnosis session, working with the energy of the universe and sending that love and forgiveness out to them. But I keep hearing back from clients that that relationship, even though the other party does not know what has been going on, that relationship has started to improve in really noticeable ways. And so... That's a, when I say you don't need to be in the same physical location to, to maintain that relationship, to improve that relationship even, you really can do it and improve it from afar. And as it relates, and that question it mentioned karma, so as it relates to karma, I think that's a really beautiful thing to actively try to work on making the relationship better, but you don't need to actually be in the same room to do that. This other Facebook question <clears throat> seems to connect directly with what you were just saying. It has to do with negativity in relationships. Can we go back into a past life memory and heal a relationship in the present? Mm, yeah. So, so again, like I was saying, with connecting with the universe and and blending all of that love and forgiveness and that positive energy. So this is really similar. And then I had one client who we didn't even go through that really overt process of trying to actively love and forgive and improve the relationship with a particular person. This client just happened to see his brother in a past life memory. And it was just your standard, the brother's there, he's part of, uh, you know, a couple hundred years ago, he's sort of a side character, not even a main component of the past life memory. He's very present, but not a major player in the past life memory. And so a few days pass, and I get an email from this client, and he mentions, he was like, of course I didn't tell my brother about this session. It's a little too outside of the box for him. 
but I'm noticing that there is this dramatic shift to the positive where he's just so much more pleasant to be around. And so even though we weren't even actively trying to fix anything, it really, it, it helped. And so, and the reason we weren't trying to actively fix anything is that, you know, I, I go based on what my clients tell me, and he hadn't mentioned that there was an issue with his brother. It just wasn't part of what came up and what we talked about. But when clients come in and they do mention that there are those strained relationships, a lot of times those people do come up in past life memories. And it's the same thing where we try to send forgiveness and love and positive energy back to that situation that has already occurred maybe hundreds of years ago. And we know that we can't change the things, the events that have happened, but we can still change the energy around what has happened. And that seems to really improve things, even though hundreds of years ago, it's still a current day shift that occurs. Terry from Illinois with uh, Valentine's Day coming up uh, tomorrow. How do you feel about getting red roses? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> I won't be have, have, you gotten, have, you, have you ever gotten red roses in the past? Oh, yes. I've had rose petals sprinkled on my bed many, <laughs> many times. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm single. Uh, divorced twice, and uh, I, I like it that way. I like being single. But you know what? I've got plenty of money, and I went to uh, Champagne uh, on Thursday. I went to Fannie Mae, and I bought my own damn candy. Well, there you <laughs> <said>. <laughs> You're happy, and that's what counts. That's right. Well, Courtney, why do some women not like getting red roses, and why do they connect them with blood and death? Yeah, so this is another question that came in on Facebook, and I was really surprised when I read it. I'm I'm not discrediting it. I'm sure that that data comes from somewhere, but I've just never I've never heard it. I've never read it, so it was very new to me. And so the person wrote that a lot of people assume that red roses are very romantic, and that's exactly what a woman would want. But that there is some data. Again, I I haven't seen it, so I can't quote where the source is from, but that there is apparently some data saying that a lot of women associate red roses with blood and death. And that was a bit of a surprise to me because I personally don't get that feeling from red roses, but I'm not going, just because I don't experience it, I'm not going to discredit it. Um, I can see that if someone has had an experience where that blood has – I'm imagining, too, especially the blood of someone else, if that has been really traumatizing to them. And that red rose color is such a rich, deep, hearty red. I could see them associating it. Um, so I don't think it's too far of a, a stretch. But I personally haven't experienced it myself. I did, however, end up having a client just um, yesterday – Really, really lovely girl. Um, she suffers from anemia, and it's one of those situations where uh, the doctors can't really tell why it's happening, and also, no matter what they try to do to help her, it's not getting results. 
they've basically said, we could pump you full of iron and your body just won't accept it. And they can't tell why. And so anytime I hear something that's a medical mystery like that, you've got the, the bells dinging in my head where I think, uh, maybe <laughs> we should explore where that's coming from. And it was very interesting because I, I asked her too, do you have any issues with the anemia where it's really impacting your life? And she said, actually, my energy level is fine. I don't think that anyone can even tell that I have this issue except for just my, my blood count is off. The doctors can tell something's wrong, but I'm fine in my daily life. And the only thing that really bothers me about it is the dark circles that are under my eyes. I don't really care for how that looks. And so we went into some higher wisdom questions. We got a few answers. And then I said, you know, should we address the anemia issue? And she said, sure, yeah, let's ask about it. And she actually got two separate past lives that came up in relation to that one particular symptom. And one of them addressed the dark circles under her eyes. And then the other one addressed the connection to blood itself. And she was, she was a male in this particular lifetime. She was a hunter. And she said that she was killing a lot of animals and she was looking at the, um, the arrow going through the dead animal and all the blood, just so much blood. And I said, well, what's your emotion having seen all of this? And she said, well, I, my emotion at the time was victorious. I felt very proud and that I was able to take these trophies, in essence, back and show off my, my hunting prowess. And apparently throughout the course of that lifetime, this thing that she was very good at and very proud of, she eventually really began to question the purpose of it because they, she was not hunting for food or survival. That wasn't why she was doing it. She was really hunting to show off how good she was at being able to kill for sport. And she said that that has really affected her and that blood, all of that pointless death and blood has really impacted her and that's where she feels the anemia is coming from. And then also everything that she does in her life, whether it's professional or personal, she always immediately questions, is this purposeful? Is there a point to doing this? And she said that she really feels that that goes back to why was she killing for sport just to show off? There was not a purpose for that. So it's interesting that she's had this one negative consequence, which is the anemia, but then she's also had this really positive consequence, which is that she leads a really, really purposeful life because that's always in the front of her mind. So that was a long, long <laughs> roundabout answer to get to that past lives and red roses and blood you know and it's all Courtney, connected. Yeah. Courtney, I think there's another lesson in what you just said also, though. Mm -hmm. There seems to me to be some indication that hunting for sheer sport or just hunting for the pleasure of killing a living animal, that that might not necessarily generate the best karma. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. There may be some karma associated with simply hunting for sport. Right. Yeah, that there, again, what was the purpose? And and I, I think it's wonderful that during that lifetime, not 
a lesson that she was that she came to after, but during that lifetime she realized that there was not a purpose to it. And so she and I spent some time during our session yesterday sending a lot of love and forgiveness back to that person for what he had done. And it sounds almost too simple to be able to do that, but there's something that really, really shifts that helps people so much just to sit quietly and just take a few moments to send that love and forgiveness back in time to that person or to that event. It really just makes things feel better. And so my hope is that that really sticks and then it starts to alleviate any of the symptoms that are occurring in the current life since that forgiveness has been sent back. Courtney, here is another question from from Facebook. This has to do with some college friends who reunited after 25 years. They had a reunion. They got back together. And for them, it was as if no time had passed. Mm-hmm. They all missed each other. They all felt just like they did 25 years ago when they were together. Are they connected through past lives? Yeah, so going back to soulmates, I think that there are soul groups, and a lot of times we think of that as immediate family members or maybe a really close friend or coworker. But I think that we have soul groups in really immediate ways. Let's say that they're the top tier (laughs) of the soul groups. But then we have these outer rings of our groups as well. And so she had this set of college friends. And, again, yeah, the 25 years had passed. They were all really close, but somehow all that time had passed and they hadn't really seen each other. So I think the first amazing thing is that after a quarter of a century had passed, that they still took the steps to get back together. That's, that's pretty impressive for them to, to have that idea to get back together and then for everyone to say, yes, let me set a time. <laughs> Let me set aside some time in my very busy schedule so that I can reunite with you, which is really amazing. And then for them to actually come back together and to immediately click after all that time had passed, I think definitely she's she's experiencing one of her soul groups. And one of the I would say probably one of the most interesting experiences that I've had with a soul group and seeing how they can come together in a really unexpected way was during my past life regression training with Dr. Weiss up at the Omega Institute in New York. Uh, this was uh-huh. about a, yeah, this was about a year and a half ago. And he, he goes throughout the training and he picks progressively more challenging people to work with. And so we're toward the end of the training, so he's working with someone who hasn't yet had any sort of uh, past life experience, whether it's in a group setting or working with someone one-on-one. And so he's working with her on stage, and we're learning from his process with her and how he does the induction. And so she fairly quickly went to a really emotional past life memory, and it was a slavery lifetime. And... So she's providing all this amazing detail, 
And she mentions that there's this one tribal leader that everyone, and I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people from her tribe, they were kidnapped, they were on the slave ship, they ended up in um, a plantation situation together. That tribal leader was there. Even though they were in a terrible situation, he still maintained a sense of calm for the group. And so she's telling this really moving or sharing this really moving memory. And as she comes back and she's able to answer questions from the other students in the class, someone asked her, and it was this really knowing question, someone asked her very directly, who was the tribal leader? Do you know that tribal leader in your current life? And the person smiles and said, I was hesitant to share this, but since you're asking me directly, it was Dr. Weiss. And she said, and on top of that, I actually opened my eyes very briefly as I was going through that past life memory. And when I opened my eyes very briefly, I realized that the people who were here in this room, that about 10 or so were part of that tribe who went through that ordeal together. And a couple of people raised their hands and they said, I felt that memory way too strongly. I felt like I was there with you. <laughs> and so you have this amazing experience where there are people from all over the world and it's a small group of people and somehow they all end up together in this training in the same week from all over the world with this one teacher who lo and behold, was a leader and a source of knowledge and comfort to them however many hundreds of years ago. And then here we are at it again, drawn to this teacher, learning from him, and coming together at the same time. I don't think that that is a coincidence. I think this is a really beautiful thing. And her session in front of all of us helped to illustrate that for the whole group, which was really beautiful. In effect, they had their own little class reunion right then and there, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Way more than 25 years later. <laughs> so. <laughs> Is it possible to not recognize soulmates at one point in your life, but then to recognize them later? I think so. I think that we, again, thinking about the books and the movies, that we always assume that as soon as we lay eyes on someone, we're going to know instantaneously, whether it's romantic or not, but we're going to know, oh, I'm immediately drawn to this person. And I think that that definitely does happen some. But I think also that the universe is very, very smart, and it is going to allow us to have the experiences that we need and the growth and development that we need in order for us to really be able to open our eyes to what's around us. So let's say that if you read a book and it means a lot to you, and so it means enough that let's say five years later you take the time to read it again. Nine times out of ten, the second time that you read that book, some time has passed, you've changed, you've learned more, your foundation of knowledge has expanded, and when you read that very same book again a few years later, there's so many things, especially if you're like me. I underline, I make notes, I do little stars and smiley faces. So I know what stands out to me on the first pass. And so I'll go through the book a few, few years later, 
And I'm thinking, how did that not get <laughs> underlined or a big heart next to it or whatever notation I was giving to say, hey, this is really important. And so I think that it's the same thing with our relationships where there is somebody who is potentially very important to us, but we just need to experience more and learn more before we're able to really fully appreciate that connection that we have with them. It's there all along. It's just whether we have experienced enough to be able to see it or feel it. In your experience with different people uh, who undergo the past life uh, regression, the, the hypnotherapy, when they do experience these memories, what are some of the ways that they can go about validating uh, their past life uh, regression? So this is a really interesting question, and I think that there are a few different ways to approach it. Let's say that it's a priority for someone to be able to validate um, their experience and their memories. I would say the easiest way to try to validate that is to go for something like really, really actively go for names and dates and just any of that information that could be documented so that you can then become a little bit of a detective, sort through historical archives, really try to figure out if you can validate those things that have been coming to you. So that's one way to approach it. Another way that, um, that I think is very valid is that you might end up tapping into someone else's uh, beliefs or experiences. And so if you feel comfortable with that person and asking them, hey, does this resonate with you? And then you find out, oh, this is very, very important to them, but you didn't know that previously except for through that one particular hypnosis session. That's another way. It's not as concrete, but like finding names and dates, but that's another way to go about validating. I find that for me personally, um, for some reason, I've never really been drawn to the validation part of it for me personally. I think that it's very interesting for other people, and I think it's great if they're able to show something concrete, especially because this is so outside of the box. Anything that's more concrete is wonderful because it will allow more people to open their minds to this practice, which is a good thing. But for me, it's really about the emotions. It's about the healing. And so if somebody feels a lot better, whether it's physically or emotionally, but they really feel a shift. Things are a lot better for them. Even though you can't find that in the history books, you can't, you know, there's no concrete way to validate it. I still feel like that improvement. And and let's say, let's say for the sake of argument, it really just is their subconscious mind. That's fine with me. <laughs> it's just their subconscious mind making them feel better. That's fine with me. And sometimes that might be what's happening, but other times they really are tapping into something that has happened in history and they're sorting through it and they're solving the issue and it's better for them. And they feel lighter, they feel better. And so I think that those emotions should be very validating. Courtney, explain to us what are twin flames. Okay, 
So <laughs> I actually have not done a lot of research on this. So when I got this question, I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> I, and I don't want to dismiss anyone's question. So that's why I went ahead and forwarded it to you. Um, so twin planes, my understanding is that, and gosh, if anybody says that I'm, or is aware that I'm explaining this incorrectly, please chime in because I, I don't want to accidentally perpetuate misinformation. But my understanding is that twin flames are very similar to soulmates, possibly if I'm remembering correctly, it's a person's soul that has actually split so that it's part of the same soul or spirit and they are meant to be together to become as one kind of completing each other like that. Um, so I think that's what a twin flame is. Uh, if you care about this question, I really recommend that you look it up because I'm not 100% sure that I am describing it correctly. And um, and what was the second half of the question? Is it do they exist? Well, yes. Yeah. What are okay. they? Do they exist? Just a general description and definition of them. Yeah, yeah. So I would say because the way that I, in my very very general uh, basic knowledge of it. From my understanding, it sounds like it's soulmates, um, possibly even a person splitting so that it's two parts of the same person. And from what I have experienced and and learned, yeah, I, I think that they do. And so if somebody is thinking of it in terms of soulmates, I think that that's really easy for people to understand. We're so used to hearing that term that there's not a lot of second-guessing it. Um, but I think that what might be a little more challenging for people is to think of it in terms of it being the same soul or spirit and it's splitting into two and then coming together as two different humans uh, that are meant to be together. I don't know that a lot of people are as familiar with the idea of a soul splitting. Um, but that actually, I don't think is that uncommon and if you have enough past life regressions, usually you're going to start to run into some chronological issues where you'll find that you know for sure that there's an overlap in the time frame between two lives. And you have to wonder, how is there an overlap? And, and the way that it came to me is that I definitely had an overlap by about 20 years in two of my lifetimes. And so... I asked my practitioner, I, I said, you know, the, the chronology on this just doesn't work as far as it being a past life and then dying, reincarnating, and then going into this next life. And she said, well, why don't we ask if there can be overlapping lifetimes? And so we did. And I almost never hear words whenever I'm under hypnosis. Most of my information comes to me through images. And so we asked, can there be overlapping lifetimes? And I immediately heard the words, of course there can. Like, like it was such a silly question <laughs> for me to even doubt it. Of course there can. And as soon as I heard those words, I saw the image of a really beautiful gardenia flower, which is, if you're not familiar with it, it's this big, beautiful flower with a lot of different petals. And so the symbolism immediately came to me that, our souls or spirits are like a flower and there are many, many petals. And so the lifetimes are the petals and some of those petals 
are quite far apart from each other, and some of those petals or lifetimes overlap. And it immediately made sense to me. And so then we asked if there is a part of me on Earth right now currently existing, and I got the answer that there is. So just from having that, you know, just lucking into realizing, hey, there's an overlap <laughs> on the timelines for these two lifetimes that led me to accidentally asking more and finding out about if we can have more than one part of us um, existing on Earth at the same time. And so if I'm understanding correctly, I think that that's part of what a twin flame is. I don't, I don't know if a twin flame is always supposed to be romantic. Maybe it is. Um, but, yeah, so that, that splitting, I believe, definitely can happen. I don't think that it has to be romantic, but it certainly could be. I, I don't see why we would draw the line and say, no, that can't happen or, or that must happen. I think that it could go either way. And uh, Oversoul 7, one of the Jane Robert Seth books, you might be familiar with Jane Roberts, she used to channel uh, a being named Seth, and she wrote a number of books. Uh, there's still out a lot of them in print, I, I believe, though this happened a couple of decades ago. And Seth Speaks was one of them. There's several different Seth books. But in the Oversoul 7, there seems to be some indication that certain souls will incarnate in more than one incarnation simultaneously. Have you run into that? Are you familiar with that? So let me make sure I understand the question correctly. That certain souls will incarnate in more than, or reincarnate into more than one incarnation simultaneously. And right. do you mean so that, that they might be uh, two different humans or they might be something different, but they're doing it at the same time? In the Oversoul 7, uh, it would be, for example, one, one individual might have three different lives going on simultaneously. Yeah, at the same time, maybe, you know, you might be, you might have one lifetime going on in San Francisco, and you might have another one going on in New York, but, but the, it's the same soul. They're experiencing mm-hmm. three different, three different identities, three different physical incarnations. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I think that that can definitely happen. Um, Again, the more that I learn, the more that I've learned, don't discount anything. And even though that sounds really outside of the box, I think that can absolutely happen. Um, Similar to what I was saying about that I was having this one lifetime memory that was occurring uh, in England during a war and then another lifetime memory that was occurring on a farm in the United States. And those were absolutely overlapping in time. Uh, I, I... don't know for sure, but I really doubt that those two people met each other. And I imagine if we're able to reincarnate because we're meant to learn these lessons, if if we want to, (laughs) let's say that we want to take more classes at the same time, then we could reincarnate into different incarnations at the same time and double our learning or triple our learning. And then that's just the humans on planet or on planet Earth experience. And who knows what other things are happening with our souls that are occurring in different places and in different realms and in different beings. I think that we keep pretty busy. <laughs> so I really doubt that it's just 
little, little Courtney sitting in her house in Virginia. Imagine <laughs> there are other things going on too. And I've been able to tap into a little bit of that, um, but I imagine there's much, much more. And what's funny about you bringing up those books is my client this morning actually brought up those books to me. And I told her that I needed to start paying attention to those books because just a few days ago, someone else brought up those books to me. And so we were joking about me saying, okay, okay, universe, I hear you. Two people bring these books up in the same week. And now I've got a third person bringing them up. So I feel like I need to go on Amazon and buy those books and start my reading. So thank you for bringing those up. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Jane Roberts is fantastic. The Jane Robert books are some of my first introduction uh, to past lives and to reincarnation. And there's lots of wonderful wisdom and philosophy and teachings, you know, that have been garnered uh, from the ages that, that appear in the Seth books. I'm not sure how many there are, at least five or six of them. One of them's called Seth Speaks, and then the Oversoul 7 one is the other one, the names of which that I can immediately uh, remember. And I think there's one mm-hmm. called the Seth Material. So uh, her name is Jane Roberts, and she's okay. very good. She's been a good influence, uh, you know, on on me and, and my studies. Well, that is good to hear. And um, do you recommend, and I asked my client this morning, should I just read the books in the order that they were published in? And she said, that sounds like a good plan. Do you agree that that's the, <laughs> the way you go? Yeah. I, I think okay. that it would not hurt if you did read them accidentally out of order because they stand on their own pretty much. The wisdom is so good and the mm-hmm. truth is so clear. But, sure, I, I don't see anything wrong at all with having a plan <laughs> and reading them in order, you know? <laughs> yeah, what's nice, too, is even if I have a plan, you know that the universe wants me to read them in a different order, that suddenly one of the books is going to be <laughs> out of stock for some strange reason <laughs> and won't show up. So I'll just read them in the order that seems right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. I've got another question here for you. What about multiple personalities? How do they relate to uh, past lives and to different incarnations? Uh, What's going on sometimes with multiple personalities? So I haven't yet worked with someone with multiple personalities, and I'm not sure that that will ever happen. Um, just because I know that uh, when people have certain um, certain mental conditions, that hypnosis is not always the best fit for them. So I probably won't end up having an experience working with someone with multiple personalities, which really, really saddens me because I find it to be fascinating. I would love to be able to work with someone who's dealing with that issue or someone with schizophrenia or because it's so it's so fascinating it's so complex it's really different than the average everyday experience and I think we have a lot to learn from people who are dealing with unusual experiences um, but as I've heard uh, from the medical community that hypnosis is not necessarily the safest thing for them and the whole purpose for my practice is to help people and so mm-hmm. if hypnosis is something that can accidentally harm them, then I'm going to avoid that at all costs because I, I definitely don't want to harm anyone. Um, so, but going into that question without having any firsthand experience, my best guess 
so my, my first level of best guess is what's going on there is that we're very, very bright creatures and we want to learn a lot. And so we're meant to learn from a variety of experiences and talk about a really, really interesting, unique experience to come in having a lifetime with multiple personalities. Um, So I think that that's the first part of it, is that there's a lot of learning to be done. Now, the one thing that I wonder is, is that two parts of the same person's spirit but they're just really different from each other, just like what we were talking about, that there could be three three of you on the planet. That, I mean, I guarantee that those three people are very unique from each other. Even if they have some similar interests, they're going to be unique from each other. So is that similar to the person who's in New York and San Francisco and Dallas, um, except for they all reside in one body? I don't know. Um, that certainly could be what's going on. Or is it even that you've got two different souls that have come together as a team? And if you think about twins, and twins talk a lot who are familiar with past life regression, hypnosis, and, you know, the soul's purpose, they often talk about coming in as twins that they had a plan together. It wasn't just coming in on your own. They knew they were coming in with their twin. They had a plan for what they were going to do. And I wonder with multiple personalities, is it the same sort of thing where you've got these teammates, they have a plan, but they're just approaching it in a very unique way. Um, I'm sure that something like that could be going on too. So unfortunately, I don't have any firsthand experience with it to be able to, to shine some light on an answer but I think it's a really interesting question, and I'd be very curious to know more about it. But those are my best guesses at this point. Well, Courtney, thank you. I mm-hmm. want to give a shout-out to, to Becky Lackenbutko, who was in the chat room for a while, and I thought she would ask some questions, and I thought she probably would call back in, but that has not happened. Because at <laughs> one point when we were talking about validating past lives, Becky's done that. Uh, and, you know, the... Um, groups that you're part of on Facebook, the past life regression groups and and so forth. Becky is part of several groups like that. And and a couple of them, and maybe even here on the show as well, Becky's been my guest three different times. Becky has fairly well, she's fairly certain that she has identified specifically one of her past lives in in the 1880s when the first Johnstown flood occurred. You know, she's identified uh, that young woman, uh, even her address and her identity and the physical location where her past incarnation lived. And I can't do it justice because she can give it so much more detail. And I, I, I hope when Becky comes back on, either on one of the shows uh, that you're you're here as my guest, or maybe when Becky's herself a guest again, that Becky will elaborate on that because she has really gone into some detail with that. And, and it would be fascinating to hear more about that. Yeah, I remember her joking on the the last call. I think that was back in October, and she joked about it. I feel like she said that she has been reincarnated in Johnstown three times now. This might be her third go around, and that she was uh-huh. serious, but also joking about is she ever going to be able to <laughs> to basically say, okay, I've learned enough from this place. It's time to move on. So yeah, she definitely has had a really rich and deep experience with that one particular location. And that goes back to what I was mentioning earlier about how I feel 
so, so drawn and connected to Kailua, that town in Hawaii, that she has that soul connection with Johnstown. Maybe Johnstown is wearing out its welcome <laughs> a little bit well, for her, but you know, still it, that connection. <laughs> funny that you say what you just said because Becky has said she feels part of her purpose is to reveal as much as is possible about the Jonestown flood victims of the 1890s. You know, there were two or 3,000 people lost. It was a really large yeah. number of people. And a lot of them died quickly and suddenly, and many of the bodies were never recovered. And yeah. she feels a real sense of obligation, a real sense of uh, duty, uh, of purpose to give the, those people who died in that flood uh, uh, closure. And, and she's talked about that, and, and she feels that, a lot of her research that she's doing about the Johnstown flood of uh, 1889 is towards that, that that is, in fact, uh, her purpose. And, and it certainly does make sense. And, and I think uh, she's doing a great and fantastic job. If, you, if you've seen some of her work, you know, she's written a couple of books, and she's got several mm-hmm. sites, and she's really done some research. She's done some fantastic work. She's doing a great job. Yeah, I wonder, too, about that case in particular, and I'm no historian, but what I remember from that particular flood is that, correct me if I'm wrong, please, is that there was a dam that was built by the the upper crust um, mm-hmm. so that they could, I'm assuming it was for something like fishing, but basically there was this dam that was built so that they could better their already wonderful lives and yeah. then, yeah, then there were the people who lived lower, I, I'm assuming it's a valley, lower in the valley that didn't mm-hmm. have the same resources. And that those people, because of that dam being built, that eventually there was, there was a crack in the dam. There was this unexpected, tremendous flood. Like you were saying, so many people died. And I'm wondering with this particular case, because you have these people that I'm willing to bet their voices weren't heard, that they were taken advantage of to a degree. Who knows if the upper crust, if they were aware at all that it was unsafe, that it wasn't a stable structure, but you still have this situation where there are these people where likely their voices weren't heard. And it's really interesting that now we have Becky with this beautiful purpose to tell the story. And she is this one-woman machine <laughs> that is doing a great job of bringing a whole new and really interesting perspective to allowing their voices to be heard and for that story to be told. So I'm wondering if that's part of what's going on. There. It is. They're being it heard is. now. It is, and there is culpability and karma associated with the people who did not heed warnings, yeah. the people who did not have safety measures in place to to prevent the catastrophe that occurred, it was, in fact, preventable. It was, in fact, yeah. something that should not have happened. And major figures such as Andrew Carnegie uh, are indirectly, shall we say, responsible through negligence and through greed in, in mm. uh, perpetrating a set of situations which resulted in the uh, catastrophic flood in which so many lives were uh, were lost. Yeah. So, yes, yes, there's some, some interconnected and intertwined karma going on there, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that it was preventable, people had an idea that it could happen, that there weren't warnings. I mean, you have this large group of people who were 
treated as worse than second-class citizens. They, according, you know, somebody wasn't warning them and they were, everybody proceeded, like everything was fine. They weren't treated as if they mattered. And Becky is treating them like they matter. And they do matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Courtney, as we come to the close of our show, I want to thank you again for being a great guest. Thank you for answering those Facebook questions mm-hmm. and for well, all of the wonderful, <laughs> wonderful information that you've shared tonight with our listeners. And, of course, I look forward to having you back on as a guest again in the future. Well, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. I really, really enjoy it. So I look forward to being on in the future as well. Thank you. And, everyone, it's www.payitforwardhypnosis.com. That is Courtney Starkey's <laughs> website. Thank you. Courtney, yes. <laughs> I want to wish you a great evening and happy Valentine's Day. Oh, thank you. To you as well. Bye-bye. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.